All right, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And those of you that are listening online right now, um, no, this isn't a repeat of last week. We are going to continue on because there's so much here in this section. I'm going to read it to you again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And then we're going to go into it even more in more detail. Uh, Paul says, But I say, walk in by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And as I said earlier, I, I realized as we were in this last week and running out of time, that there's so much here that I didn't want us to just skip on to chapter 6 and miss out. Because look closely what Paul says here in verse 25. And this is going to be the kind of the key we're going to be looking at tonight. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There is a difference between living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I have kind of roughly over the years been a Christian for 30-something years, been preaching for almost 30 years. And literally, I, this is something that God has just recently opened my eyes to understand what it means to be walking in the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. And it's different. Here, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, and we're going to take the time to show you what that means, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so we're going to take some time tonight to really break this down. And hopefully by the time we leave here, you'll be able to have a better idea of what it means to walk in the Spirit. All right? Allison, I saw your hand. Mine has a footnote that says, follow the Spirit rather than walk with the Spirit. Okay. It's the same kind of thing, and you'll see in time how that is going to become clear. We're not going to even have the time to do that, but if you want to have a fun study, just write this down. Write the word walk, and then go and do a study of how Paul uses the word walk. Paul's talking about the life of the Christian, the living the Christian life. And all the way through the scriptures, I could show you all the different places, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and, and many others like that, that talk about the life of being a Christian, being a walk. But there's a difference between living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. So I'm going to say that again, and I want that to get stuck in your head. There is a huge difference between living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. So in order to, 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 to help us get there, we need to deal tonight with what does it mean then to live by the Spirit? Go with me back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Remember as we looked last week. We looked at how Paul talked about how for those of us who are in Christ, there's this wrestling match that is still going on between the Spirit of God within us and our flesh. Paul talked about the fact that he had been born again through faith in Jesus Christ and God had made him a new creation as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things are past, all things are new. Yet at the same time, he still wrestled with his flesh. He still had a tug of war. Because he said in Romans 7, as we looked at last time, things I want to do, I what? I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. And he says, it's no longer I who do it. It's sin living in my body. That's a very interesting thing. For those of us who are in Christ, we have been declared righteous by God. And it's not how good you are or how, you know, we, we have to think that as a Christian now, God's forgiven us, but we still got to be really good or else he won't give us grace. We looked last week at how foolish that is, because remember in Romans 5, when we were his enemy, when we were separated from him, when we were sinners, when we were objects of wrath, what did he do? He poured grace to us and he died for us. What makes us think that after we've been reconciled now, that we have to be good in order for God to give us grace? You are in Christ. And what Paul's going to show us here in Romans 8 now is this. If you have the Spirit of God within you, 
you live by the Spirit. That just simply means, if the, the term living by the Spirit simply means you have the Spirit of God within you. All right? Let me ask you this question. The Bible says uh, that we have passed from death to life. Well, how does that happen? How do we pass from death to life? Through faith in Jesus Christ, and God seals the deal, if you will, by giving us His Spirit, marking us as His. As we've seen, talked before, salvation is more than just that moment when we pray to prayer. Salvation is the whole process. You're justified, but you're also being saved, and that's the sanctification process. And one day we'll receive salvation, and that's the glorification process. But it, you've got it all when you receive Him, but at the same time you're in this process. And so at the moment that God gives you his spirit and begins his good work in you, the Bible describes you as in the spirit or in Christ. If you have the spirit of God within you, you are now spiritually alive and you have been given life. You've passed from death to life. You're in a new situation simply because of Jesus his righteousness has been given to you. And that's why the Bible talks so much about being in Christ. Now listen to what he says in Romans 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Well, how come? How come there's no condemnation if I'm in Christ? Well, well the Bible says in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We've been that's been removed from us, folks. God's no longer judging your behavior, determine whether or not you're good or whether you're bad. You've been given righteousness. Now, please, again, let me remind you, he still as a loving father will discipline us and mold us and shape us. But he's never going to punish us because of sin. He's never going to judge us because we've been bad. He's going to lovingly shape us and to have us become what he wants us to be. But it's never in his wrath, never in his anger. Everything he does to us now is from his hand of love because, well, he's poured out his full wrath on Jesus Christ. Now, here it goes on and even more says in verse 3, For God has done, past tense, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By the way, what, what is that? What couldn't the law do? It couldn't make you righteous. Why couldn't the law make us righteous? You remember when we dealt with all that? The law pointed out our sin. And then because of the flesh, because of the sin that's still in us, what happens? We now don't want to do it. And you can't do it. So the law was unable to make you righteous. But guess what? You, if you're in Christ, you live by the Spirit and you are righteous. Plain and simple. I know we don't feel like it sometimes. And I know we don't act like it sometimes. But we've got to understand the basics, because if you don't understand what it means to be alive by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, you won't understand what it means to walk in the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit, because there's a difference. All right. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, here's where I, over the years, have had a problem. I used to read verse chapter eight, verse one and following, and I get so excited. There's no condemnation because I'm in Christ and and he's made me righteous. And then all of a sudden it looked like this last verse that I just read to you. Verse four had a clause. Doesn't it kind of read like there's a clause? Look at verse 4 again. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, caveat, it seems, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then I said, oh, I'm in trouble. Because I don't know about you. I don't always walk according to the Spirit. I walk according to the flesh. And sometimes my flesh wins, just like Paul said, things I don't want to do, I do. And for years I read this as, Jim, you're almost there. But you're not quite living it right. Until recently, God opened my eyes to what he goes on and says two things. I'm going to jump to verse nine and then I'm going to go back and look at verses five and following. Look at what he says, though, in verse nine. You, however, there's a distinction here, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Did you catch that? Yes. What's the delineation between whether or not you're in the flesh or in the spirit, whether or not you have the spirit of God in you? If you have the Spirit of God in you, you are alive because of the Spirit, because of God, because of Jesus. And when he talks about being in the flesh, he's not talking about us who have the Spirit. Then you go back and look at verse 5 and following and you'll see this, what I thought for years was a caveat, couldn't be me. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, 
set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And for years, I thought that that was talking about when I walked bad versus walking good. And then verse 9 makes so much more sense now. You, however, aren't in the flesh, but in the spirit, if what? If you've been good? What's the, what's the, what's the distinguishing mark? Whether or not the Spirit of God's in you. So when he's talking about these people that are in the flesh versus are in the spirit, he's not talking about Christians who are living bad. Exactly. He's talking about those who don't have the spirit. So that's what's get this settled now. When we talk about living in the spirit, you, if you are saved, if God has sealed the deal by giving you his spirit, marking you as his, guaranteeing your inheritance, promising to finish what he started. Guess what? You've got that already. You are already living by the spirit because of what God has done in you and is doing in you and will finish. But there is a difference between living in the spirit and walking or keeping in step with the spirit. There is a difference. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what does that mean then? Hopefully you got that. Hopefully I don't have to beat that into your heads anymore. If you got Christ, you're in the spirit. All right. You're not in the flesh anymore. Now your flesh still has an effect on you at times and tugs against you at times like it did with Paul. But praise be to God through Jesus Christ. We've been given the victory. All right over the flesh in that sense. Now, so what does it mean then to walk in the spirit? And for years I've wrestled with this. And a lot of us have probably even thought that you know, we'll never get there because there are some people that have taken things of the spirit to an unbiblical realm. And because of that, we want to stay away from being wackos like that. And we ignore the things of the spirit. But tonight I want to show you it's real simple. And the answer is simply this. Okay, you have a wrestling match now going on between your spirit and your what? And your flesh, that is still going on because till you get out of this body, that's going to be there. The Bible, to, to walk in the spirit is simply this. And I'm going to give you this definition and we're going, to, we're going to prove it out. To walk in the spirit is simply to choose to listen to God's spirit within us and to yield to God's power over sin as we obey what he says. I'm going to say it again. To walk in the spirit simply means this. To choose to listen to God's spirit within us and to yield to God's power over sin as we obey what he says. Let me give you an, a proof of what I'm talking about. When do we walk in the flesh? Well, it's when our flesh talks to us and we listen. For me, it's when my flesh says, have a third helping <laughs> or a fourth. For some of you, it might be when you want to get revenge or you want to spite somebody. For others, it could be your struggle with alcohol or whatever else it is. Well, you know what? We've got all different things. And some of your temptations aren't mine and some of mine aren't yours and all. But there are different ways in which our flesh pulls against us. And when your flesh starts to talk to you and you listen, that's when you choose to submit to the flesh. Now, it doesn't mean you've lost the spirit. You've just chosen to listen to the flesh. In the same way, to walk in the Spirit, we already live by the Spirit, but to walk with the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit simply means this. When God's Spirit speaks to you, you listen to Him and you do what He says. You choose to do it. Now, there's a whole lot more to it that, that we're going to get to in a second. But let me show you what I'm talking about. We're in Romans 8. Back up to Romans 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 23. Paul says in Romans 6, starting in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's just said, it doesn't matter how much you sin, God's grace supersedes it. So this person says, well, shall we go on sinning so we can get more grace? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness, newness of life. There's another one of those walks that Paul uses. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion or power over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, let's let's kind of clarify what Paul's been saying here. Hopefully you understand, he says, and you should understand that when Jesus died to sin, that death was now given to us. He defeated sin, right? Sin has been defeated for us as well. And now, because he's died to sin and risen from the dead, death and sin have no power over him anymore. In the same way, we need to understand that because of the fact that we've been united with Christ, remember you're in Christ and his spirit now lives within you. In the same way now, death and sin have no power over you. As you understand who you are and learn how to live in the spirit and walk in the spirit, you can experience that same victory over sin and death that Jesus has. Remember in Corinthians, it says he who he became sin, who knew no sin. We all understand that. Right. Our sin was put on Jesus. What's the rest of it? That we might become the righteousness of Christ. Folks, let me just get this again. Your sin, you understand, was put on Jesus. His righteousness has now been put on you. By the way, did your sin get partially put on Jesus? Did his righteousness get partially put on you? No. no. Now, in the same way, if we've been united with Christ to the point that his death for sin is now our death to sin. In the same way, Paul says his resurrection, his life now where he's free from sin and death. He lives freely for God because you do understand he's still alive and he still has a body and he's still living. We have his same life now because he's now living within us. And that same resurrection power that Jesus has, where sin has no power over him, we have available to us. But it only will be experienced as you learn to let him live his life through you and give you that victory. Now, and we'll get into more of this in a second and some of the hangups and the hiccups that we have with it. And then Paul goes on and says this. He says in verse 12, I'm going to remind you, don't let sin reign, therefore, in your dead body. To make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you either, since you are not under law, but under grace. And then he goes on and says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members or your body parts as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages or the payment for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. You know, over the years, we've had this verse quoted to us, and it's a wonderful verse for sharing the gospel with people. But very few Christians could tell you the context of what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is in. It's tied in the context of you get to choose now who you're going to listen to. You've been set free from sin. Before you got saved, you weren't free from sin. It didn't matter what you tried, you weren't going to have any victory. But now that you've been united with Christ, the same Jesus who lived in this body and defeated sin now lives within you. And if you learn how to yield to him and let him live his life through you, that same victory he already had and has is now available to you. But it's going to have to be a process of you learning how to, and this is why Paul uses these terms, walk, it's a progression, and keep in step. By the way, how many of you have ever been in the military and had to learn how to march? Keeping in step takes concentration, doesn't it? It's a continual thing. Because you have to keep watching the person next to you and so on. And it's a process of stay daily and continually following. You still have this body of flesh that's going to wrestle against you and against your spirit to make you do things you don't want to do and vice versa. At the same time, if you will learn now to recognize the spirit of God within you and listen to him. We all know when our flesh is talking, right? We all, if you don't, Paul's going to show us in chapter five what it looks like when the flesh talks and the flesh wins. But we have to get to this place where we learn to recognize that God's talking to us. Now, I'm about to say something that some of you that were at Men in Motion heard today, and the rest of you probably may be a little bit surprised to hear me say. See, over the years, as I've taught the eight principles in different churches around the country, one of the things that always comes out as I teach people to learn to recognize where God's at work and what's He saying, and let's do what He says, and let's stop following the formula, and let's, let's actually have a living relationship as churches in following God. As I do that, inevitably, one of the biggest questions has been, well, how do you know when God's talking? How do you know when God's leading? How do you know it's God? How do you know it's not you? And how do you know it's not Satan? And how, all this kind of stuff. And for years, I used to say, I'm going to have one night that I'm going to take the whole preaching time and teach you how to recognize God speaking. I know, oh, by the way, those are the biggest nights. Crowds come everywhere, from everywhere, because they want to hear, how do you know when God's talking? And God just recently began to speak to me, and he took me to John chapter 10. And listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to quote it to you. He says, my sheep know my voice. Amen. And i got to be honest with you. I came under conviction. I can't teach people how to recognize the voice of God. I can give you tips. I can give you pointers. I can give you a little bit of spiritual guidance. But ultimately, there's no one that can teach you to recognize the voice of God. Either you got salvation and you know his voice or you don't have salvation and you don't know his voice. And I don't care how many seminars you go to on how to hear the voice of God. God really began to convict me and said, Jim, why are you trying to teach them what I said that if they have me, they already will know? And so I'm not going to spend time. The old me would have said, this is where I have to take time now to teach you how to recognize God's voice. And I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. He said, my sheep know my voice. You know when he's talking to you. But the problem is we have learned to tune him out so long that we've become a little numb to him. You husbands know what I'm going to be right to you. You husbands know what I'm talking about, right? You know how when your wife will continually stay on a certain thing and you pretend it's a refrigerator and you can't hear? You know, it's like, oh, this refrigerator was humming, honey. I didn't catch that. You know, kind of a thing. You've never used it? Well, it works. Uh, but not anymore. Uh, we got the dishwasher's on. That's what it's working now. So go ahead. The only point I was going to say, Jim, is that when you start trying to tell somebody how God speaks, then it reminds me of the verse that Christ said to um, his disciples, you know, are you offended? Are we trying to box God into this is how he works? No. Exactly. He, he is so unique and so diverse and he'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. And, and in the same way, you have, more, you, have more, you have more than one child. And you had to learn how to communicate with each child. And this one hears it this way, but this one hears it this way. In the same way, in each of us, it's kind of hard for me to tell you how God speaks. I can tell you how he speaks to me. But that might not be how he speaks to you. And so, folks, I'm just going to leave it at this. If Jesus is in you, you know his voice. You know it. 
If he's not, let's get that settled. For too long, we have had a small view of God. We felt he's needed our help. That's why we think we need the paperwork at our churches to control everyone's behavior. You got to follow the manual. Because if everybody will just follow the manual, we'll be okay. What does the Bible say about our ability to follow rules? We can't. We can't. And actually, once you make it a rule, now you don't want to do it. You can't, you can't control people's behavior by law. But the Bible actually says that the Spirit of God is able to do that, and He's the one who's going to finish what He started, and He's the one who's going to do the work. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, the Spirit of God that lives within you speaks to you. And you know what? For years, I thought Satan talked all the time, and God only spoke once in a while. Guess what? He's talking all the time, if not more than Satan. You know why? Jesus lives inside of me. I have a living relationship with Jesus who's living inside of me and talking to me all the time. Satan doesn't live inside of me, thank God. And he doesn't talk to me all the time. And he doesn't even have permission to talk to me unless he goes to my father. So he's not on a regular schedule. But sad thing is, is many Christians have thought that Satan talked more than God. You know his voice. Why don't you just listen to it? And do what he says. And we're going to get to the next part of walking in the spirit that many Christians have left off. So stick with me here. But let's just start there. The walk in the spirit is not some super spiritual thing. I'm going to get right to you, Duke. So hang on to it. I know at your age you might not be able to remember in a couple minutes. But, but uh, you know how some people get in the, they, they talk about being in the spirit. And they're like, oh, I'm in the spirit. And, and they act like it's something that's super spiritual and the most Christians say well I can never be as spiritual as them and I've been in churches where someone will do something that's actually contrary to the spirit and they'll say well I couldn't help it I was in the spirit and then I was reading in 1 Corinthians I think it's chapter 14 where Paul said the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets so what he's saying is this the spirit of the ones who are gifted with the ability to prophesy if you will and to preach and teach is subject to to those who have had this gift. In other words, he's saying in that section, he said, if one of you has a prophecy or is sharing the word of God and someone else says something, you stop, you let them speak. Why? Because I have control over whether or not I'm letting the spirit work through me. It is unbiblical for someone to say, I couldn't help it. The spirit just took control. And no, 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 you choose whether or not he's going to have control. And actually, if it was possible for the Spirit just to take control without your choice, God would do a whole lot more stuff through us, wouldn't He? He's waiting for us to let Him. And just like you choose to listen to your flesh, you can choose to listen to God. And when you do, you're walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. Oh, you already live by the Spirit if Christ Jesus is in you. But if you listen to what he says and you do what he says, that's walking in the spirit. And then I love how he adds keep in step to help us understand it's a daily thing. It's not like, hey, I listen to the spirit today. I'm good. You know, I'm done for the day. Now, I tend to do that with my wife. You know, I do one thing on a honeydew list and I'm thinking, Cha ching, I'm done for a week. But it doesn't work like that with her either. Duke, do you still remember what you're going to say? No. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Yes. We give Satan too much credit because he cannot work on you and me at the same time. You're right. Yeah, a lot. Of, be, Satan may be using his minions and different things like that, but it can't be Satan himself all the, talking to all of us. And think how much power we've given him because we all would just say Satan's doing it. But you're right. That's a really good point. All right. How about, how about we, the demons? The demons, definitely. But they're, they're his minions. Yeah, definitely. The demons definitely work for him. All right. I'm sorry? Yep, sometimes when we give into our flesh, we're blaming on Satan. And our flesh doesn't need Satan's help. All right. All right. Look closely at what he says here now, though. Listen, I'm going to read to you verse 16 again, and then verse 25 again. But I say, walk in, by the, or in or by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 25 again, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if you have the Spirit of God within you, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, look closely. The Christian life is not a life of rule following, but it's an internal relationship. 
If you were to ask an average group of Christians today, what basic principles of conduct should one follow in living the Christian life? I'm going to ask that question again. If you were to ask a basic average group of Christians today, and if I were to do this in the room, and I'm not going to do this to embarrass anybody, so we're not going to do it, but I'm just going to tell you what your answers might be. If you were to ask an average group of Christians what the basic principles of conduct one should follow in living the Christian life, their answers might sound like this. Some would say Ten Commandments. Some would say Bible reading and prayer. Some would say faithful church attendance. Others would say living by the golden rule. Some might say losing oneself in service. Others might even say we're to imitate Christ. But you know what? If you ask Paul that question, what would Paul say? He'd say live in the spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. What God is looking for from you is not how well you've been keeping the Christian rules or how well you've been keeping the Ten Commandments or how well you have been doing the things that you were taught that you were supposed to do as a Christian in your tithing and your Bible reading and your prayer and your, your service. We sit there and measure, how am I doing against these things? And God says, I didn't enter into a relationship with you so that you would follow rules. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. What I want to tell you is going to line up with my word. It'll never contradict my word because I wrote this and it is me. And you can't separate it from who I am. But instead of teaching people how to listen to God and follow his spirit and learn who he is from his word, we've taken his word, turned it into a set of rules, and we've moved away from the relationship. You know what? I found out over the years as a pastor, when people come to me and say, well, what should I do in this situation? I used to say, well, what does God's word say? Or what about this? I've now said, what's God telling you? See, because remember, his sheep know his voice. And if a person says, I've never heard God, well, let's deal with that issue first. I need to experience one time years ago, a young lady in her 20s came to me when I was pastor in Chicago and she was having an issue with her marriage. She came to me wrestling with the issue of divorce. And God was beginning to teach me some of this stuff. And I said, well, what's God telling you to do? Now, again, I'm thinking she's a church member. She must be a Christian. Just because you're a church member doesn't mean you're a Christian, by the way. I found that out, too. And I said to her, I said, what's God telling you? And she said, I got to be honest with you. I have never heard God speak. So God quickly had me change my counseling from dealing with this divorce issue to explaining to what it meant to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Come to realize she had never come into that relationship. And there in my office, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And I, I'm not kidding you. You could almost see her change when Jesus came to live inside of her. Her whole countenance changed. The wrinkles on her forehead honestly went away. She looked almost different. And then within 10 minutes after when she had trusted Christ, we were sitting there and she goes, I just had this thought. And I go, what thought? She goes, you know, it has to do with my marriage. It has to do with my husband. I'm thinking I'm going to go home and I'm going to do this. And it was obvious that her father had spoken to her. Amen. And I turned to her and I said, where in the world did that thought come from? And she started to bawl. I heard God. I've heard God. I said, yes, you did. Go do what he says. Oh, by the way, they were having trouble having kids, and it was, uh, there was a lot of other issues all involved. Uh, when she got saved and went back and did what Jesus said in her marriage, it not only reconciled the marriage, they got three or four kids. The husband's chairman of deacons now, and I'm not sure that's always a good thing, but, but, uh, but you understand what I'm saying? God did an awesome work. And instead of me saying, here are the rules to follow in dealing with your marriage. Here are the rules as a Christian. You must do this. I just said, what's God telling you? And God took it from there. And you say to me, well, God's telling me something. And if it contradicts his word, I can say, I don't think that's God. But folks, let me ask you this question. And whatever it is you're dealing with. Don't look for the Christian decision or the Christian rule or the Christian way to handle this. Don't try to imitate Christ. Don't say, what would Jesus do? I'm going to ask you this. What is Jesus saying? Because the basic principles of living the Christian life is not Bible reading and prayer. It is not losing oneself in service. It is not um, faithful church attendance or keeping the Ten Commandments. It is not imitating Christ. The basic principles of living the Christian life is simply this, walk in the Spirit. You're already alive by the Spirit if Jesus is in you. Walk in the Spirit. 
And by the way, we brought it out from the rafters. It's not this super spiritual thing that only those people that can walk in the spirit can. Every one of us can do it because all that is, is you choose to do what the spirit of God within you is saying to do. And when you choose to do it, here's where we get to the good part. Something happens that is different from when you choose to listen to the flesh. There is a difference. You know what the difference is? The Spirit of God starts to take over. Now I'm going to get to that in just a second. Chris, go ahead. I was just going to say you can connect it back to the garden. You know, what was the original call was when Adam and Eve decided not to obey what they knew what God wanted them to do and instead choose to listen to Satan and to do what they wanted to do. Right. And that was before they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it was not about good or evil. It was about follow God or don't. And God had spoken, and they didn't listen. And they chose to listen to somebody else. Go ahead. Was that Allison? And they used to walk with him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to move now into this section of the second half of what it means to walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. And this is a part that a lot of Christians don't understand. And I myself, again, didn't fully understand this until later on as God began to really... Teach me what it meant to walk in the Spirit. When you choose to listen to the Spirit of God and obey Him and do what He says, something supernatural does happen. God Himself empowers you. God Himself actually does whatever it is He's asking you to do through you. And actually, it is no longer you doing it. But God, what we have to do is make the decision to choose to do it and to take the first step of obedience. If, if you go back and look at what Joshua was told over and over, he was told, be strong and very courageous to do what God says. And he's told it again, be strong and very courageous to do what God says. But once he took the hard step of choosing to listen to God versus his flesh and what everybody else was saying, and he took the first step of obedience, what happened? God took over. The hard part was to do what he said and to tell everybody, we're just going to walk around and we're not going to talk. We're going to walk around. When he did what God said, who took over? God did. Did Joshua have any part in the walls coming down? None. All the way through, they were asked to take the first step of obedience, but once they did, God took over. See, this is where I misunderstood. I have for years tried to be obedient to God and do what God says, but I tried to do it in my own strength. I never understood that God would do it if I would say, Lord, would you do this? I choose to not only obey you, but I'm giving you control. You take over supernaturally. I'm now starting to experience the joy of actually dealing with struggles of against, against sin when before it was a continual battle and sometimes I'd win and most of the time I'd lose and then when I would win, I didn't even feel good. You know why? Because I was scared to death of the next fight. I barely hung on and won by my own ability. And God, that's got to count for something because I really worked hard to do what you said. But I've come to realize now that when I learn to choose to not only let him do it, but to believe that he will, and I say no to whatever he says to say no to or yes to whatever he says yes to. And I submit myself to him. He takes over and the battle is no longer mine. It's no longer mine. Listen to Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk, there's another one, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, before you get to verse 11, this is what I tried to do in my own strength. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to do what he says. I want to be a good Christian. And you've heard my story. I was a virgin when I got married. I've never had a cigarette. I've never taken a drink of alcohol except for the wrong cup in the Lord's Supper at a Lutheran church. And, 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 and I've tried real hard to do it right. And I didn't have joy. I didn't have peace. I was so miserable. Even as a successful pastor, I was miserable because I was doing it in my own strength. But I was trying to do all these things. I was trying to walk worthy of the Lord. I was trying to be fully pleasing. I'm 
But look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of His sins. Folks, I never experienced this power. I never experienced this joy and this peace that the Bible talked about. I preached about it because I was a pastor and would talk about it and I'd tell people that, you know, you need to have joy and peace. But I never had it. It wasn't that I wasn't saved. I never learned how to walk in the Spirit. There's another aspect. It's more than just choosing to do what God says. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, and then I'm going to show you a couple of other passages that deal with this. Jesus told his disciples in the garden, right before he went to the cross, when they were, he said, look, stay awake and watch, you know, pray. And how'd they do? Fell asleep. Fell asleep. And he said this to them. Listen closely to what he says. He said, watch and pray. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? I've had a problem with that verse for a long, long time. Because I don't know about you, my flesh isn't weak. In my mind, I thought, you know, my flesh is pretty strong. I mean, I'm fighting against my flesh all the time. And my flesh, I don't know about you, my flesh has been kicking my butt. So why did he say my flesh was weak? I don't know if you know about you, Jesus, my flesh is pretty strong. And I've come to realize what Jesus was saying. Listen closely to what he was saying. He said, you need to, first of all, watch, be alert to what's going, actually going on. And you need to ask for God's power because the spirit within you is willing and ready to go to work. But if you try to do it in your flesh, you can't. And as a Christian, I would try to resist the devil because he's supposed to flee. Remember, doesn't it say in the book of James, resist the devil and he'll flee? Isn't that what it says? <laughs> exactly, Niggy. I left off the first part. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. He ain't running because of me. He's running because of Jesus. And folks, yes, exactly. First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Folks, many of us Christians haven't understood this. I myself have tried to choose to do the right thing. I've tried to obey God and I didn't do so good. And even in the times I thought I won, I wasn't happy. I was exhausted. I was miserable. Hope that was counting for something because I did good this time, God. I didn't do what you said not to do or I did what you said to do. But I hadn't learned to walk in the spirit. I was trying to live the Christian life in my weak flesh. Folks, the spirit of God within you now, the power that is according to his glorious might is ready and raring to go to show himself strong on your behalf. But you have to choose not only to do what he says, but to let him do it and believe that he will. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 21. Man, our time just flies away and I've only hit in three pages of my notes and I got 10. We may be in chapter 5 again next week. All right, Galatians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with what? Power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's writing to Christians and he says, Lies, I want you to experience his power. Well, I thought I was saved. Yeah, you are. But you don't know what it means to walk in the spirit and to yield to the spirit and keep in step with the spirit and have him live his life through you. I'm praying that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work where? Within us. 
To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And folks, let me just tell you, to walk in the Spirit means more than just to choose to do what God says versus what your flesh says. To walk in the Spirit means to not only choose to do what God says, but to believe and let Him live it out through you. When you struggle against whatever it is and that temptation or that time comes up that you're in that battle, you must now say, Lord, you said. And I'm going to say no to this because you say to. And I'm choosing to let you have the victory here. And I'm submitting myself to you. You watch what happens. I'm going to share an illustration that my wife will probably, she'll be okay with it. I say that so she can get ready for it. But... Uh, <laughs> Years ago, when my wife and I were dating, and we're coming up on 23 years of marriage, years ago when we were dating, we would work really hard at being pure. Like I told you, we were both virgins when we got married. But we also had tried to avoid the appearance of evil. We worked real hard not to put ourselves in situations where the temptation would be succumbed to, so we would never be alone, you know, at a house if no one else was there. Or if we wanted to be alone, we'd do it in public places like a park or a mall where we could be alone, yet at the same time, there were other people around. But every now and then, we'd go over here to Sun on the Beach and park behind Sun on the Beach and watch the submarine races. It'll sink in soon enough. <laughs> As we parked my little pickup truck facing the ocean, we'd sit there and we'd make out. And sometimes the temptation to go further than just kiss was very strong. Now we had set it up ahead of time that if it was covered by a bathing suit, you didn't touch it until after we were married. But the temptation to go against God's design was very strong. And there were some nights that we were you know, the races were going right along and, and we, were, we were kissing and all of a sudden our bodies wanted to go further. And the flesh was saying, listen to me. And something happened and thank God for a wife who knows the Lord and got the spirit within her. She was my girlfriend at the time. She still had the spirit then too. We would stop at that moment when the temptation to go further would be very strong. And we would pray. And literally, this is what Becky would pray. And I would pray a similar prayer. She would say, God, I really love Jim. And right now, I want to go further to express my love. But I love you more. And you've told us to wait. So would you give us the grace to be able to stop? Because by your power only will we be able to stop. Sit there and listen to her, my girlfriend, say that she wanted to go further as a guy. I'm sitting there going, yeah, I like the sound of that. She goes, I knew I wanted to go further. I just didn't know how she felt. But now she was tipping her hand. And I would, I would pray a similar prayer. Now, most of you would think that at that moment, we would then go, okay, we better get out of here. Turn the key back on. Let's go home. No. God supernaturally did something in that environment where we could stay. We even kissed some more. But the desire to go further was gone. Why? We had submitted to what he said. We had made the choice to do what he said. And guess what? He supernaturally took over and the battle was won by him. Oh, folks, if you try to be a good Christian and do the Christian thing, you will lose. Because the spirit may be willing, but your flesh is weak. And I know many of you can look back over your life and say, well, I tried. Yes, that's the problem. You tried. But how many of you want to believe some of these verses we're going to look at some more now? How Paul said to Christians, pray that you not only understand his love for you, but that you would be strengthened by his power according to his might, which is already at work within you because the spirit of God's within you. That same Jesus who defeated the flesh can defeat it again for you, but he's wanting you to choose to let him. And that's going to have to be a daily process of learning to walk with him and keep in step with the spirit. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 10 and 11. This, this is more than just dealing with sin and struggling against temptation. This is how to live out using your gifts. 
Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Over the years, you know what we've been doing? We've been having banquets to pat on the back the hard workers in Christian service who have done all this hard work. They did it. Or we might have a banquet for that deacon who's been faithful for 50 years. He was a grumpy old curmudgeon and he never did anything by faith, but he was faithful. And we have a banquet to celebrate all the stuff he did in the flesh. Folks, let me tell you, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you are using the gifts God's given you according to the Spirit and His power, whatever it is that he, you're doing is not a chore. It is not a burden. It is not a drudgery. It's fun. Everywhere I go, even when I go on vacation, my family will tell you, I look for a place to preach while we're on vacation. People say, why would you do that? Because it ain't work. It ain't work. I love it. It's fun. If I had my druthers, I'd preach every hour. We'd stop here. I'd either keep going or we'd bring in a new group in. Or I'd head somewhere else and preach again. Dave knows. Play golf with me. I'll preach there too. While I'm beating him. <laughs> humbly, humbly beating him. Yes. Yeah. Let me say this to you, folks. When, whenever, whenever you see the term filled with the Spirit in the Bible, listen closely. This is a very important too many people have mistaught this. Whenever you see the term filled with the Spirit in the, used in the Bible, you can change the word filled to controlled by or under the power of. To be filled with the Spirit is not some super, oh, I've got to get filled. I, that's why people are running around all these different services where supposedly this preacher's got the Spirit pouring out at that moment. Got to go there because the Spirit's getting poured out. No, folks, you already got Jesus and everything you need came with him. You've received fullness in Christ. Colossians 2, 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. You got everything you need. It's all right there. It came with Jesus. He's given you everything in Christ. You don't need no second filling. You don't need no super experience. You need to learn how to tap into what is already there. And to be filled with the Spirit means to be under the control of the Spirit. If you were to go there and look later on in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12, it says that Peter, full of the Spirit, got up and he spoke to the Sanhedrin and he said, Look, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. By the way, does that sound like Peter? That doesn't sound like the Peter without the Spirit or with his, in his flesh who said, I don't know him. What happened? Did he work up his flesh? Did he try to become? No. He took advantage of what was within him. And he was under the control. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You already got the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means you've learned to walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit's controlling what you do. But you have to choose. Just like you choose to obey the flesh, you choose to obey the Spirit of God within you. And if you have made the right choice, does that mean you're done for the day? Now, you're going to need to learn how to choose every single time. Folks, that's why a lot of times when I pray before I preach, I'll say, Lord, I don't want to rest on a past anointing. Not only that, I can't rest on a past anointing. I have to choose to receive and believe that he's going to take over through me this time, just like he did the time before. And I ask him to do it, and I believe that he will. And he does. For the sake of time... Let me just wrap up real quick Galatians 5 in these lists. Why does Paul say in Galatians 5 here, writing to Christians, now the works of the flesh are evident and list the works of the flesh. And why does he say, writing to Christians, why does he describe what the fruit of the evidence of the Spirit looks like? That's a question, by the way. That's a big part of it, Niggy. It really is. Remember, he's writing to people who claim to be in the church and claim to be Christians. Just because you are doesn't mean you are. And he says, look, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you go, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. I've done a couple of these things. No. 
If you were to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11, you'll see that Paul lists a lot of these sins. And he says, and so were you, and so did you do these things, but you were washed. You were made new through the blood of Jesus Christ. If we have been born again, remember, you're saved. You're alive by the Spirit. You're in Christ. You're okay. But if this is how you live most of the time, you better check to make sure the Spirit's in you. And when you learn to walk in the Spirit, you won't see that list. You'll see the list of the evidence of the Spirit. And when we come back next week, we will get into chapter 6. But we're going to take a look at these two lists because I'm not going to break them down each individually. I don't need to do that. That will actually cause you more trouble because you'll try to be more patient. You'll try to be more kind. And don't waste your time. You can't do it. All right? This is just evidence that the Spirit's in control. So I'm not going to preach sermons to say, go do these things. But what we're going to do when we come back next time is we're going to take a look at these lists and we're going to compare a life that is walking in the Spirit versus a life that's not walking in the Spirit. And we'll let God talk to you according to what He wants to show you from there. And then we're going to get into chapter 6. And we also need to deal with verse 24. I'm going to leave you with this and have you wrestle with this till we get back together. Listen to verse 24. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Doesn't that seem to now all of a sudden you say, wait, wait a minute. How come my flesh is still acting up? Well, we'll answer that when we come back next time. Let's pray. Father, I, I get so excited about these things when, when you begin to show them to me. And, I, and, and then I'm able to use the gifts that you've given me to be able to communicate them to the folks here. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that on the, in the room here, I see faces of people that are nodding and smiling. Some in the sense of, yes, that's what God's been showing me. Others in the sense of, yes, that's what I've been looking for. Lord, I thank you for the fact that if you are in us, you will finish what you started. You will patiently and lovingly bring us to this understanding. I don't have to try to teach it in such a way that they get it. Lord, I thank you that in the way that you have been patient with me for 20 years of my walk with you to teach me how to follow you in love versus fear and service. Lord, you've been patient with me during this journey. And I, Lord, I thank you that today you help me see the benefit, actually, of the fact that it's taken me 20 years of my Christian walk to learn this. Because now, in the times that I've slipped, in the times that I've fallen, in the times that I've disobeyed, in the times that I have tried to do it in my own strength, I am able to look back and see your patience to see your mercy, to see your grace, and to see how loving you have been toward me. And Lord, I can honestly say I'm learning to love you back. You've loved me, and I've tried to love you, but I didn't. I didn't know how. I tried to serve you. I tried to do the best I could for you and hope that you'd be pleased. But now, Lord, as I've really come to realize how patient you've been with me and long-suffering and, and loving through this whole journey of making me understand grace, Lord, I can now say I'm falling in love with you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I thank you for this journey, even though it hasn't been easy at times, but it's helped me come to realize who you really are. And Lord, I'm now realizing there isn't a way in the world that I can do this by a sermon in anybody else's life. But I can share with them the truth. I can plant the seed and allow your spirit to take these words and have it be a part of their journey, a part of their process of coming to know you either for salvation or to know you better. And Father, there are people in this room, myself included, who need to experience and know this power that lives within us. Lord, there might be some in here today that have never entered into that saving relationship with you. And they might have been sitting in this room wrestling with this issue, questioning and, and, and arguing even in their minds, yet your spirit has been lovingly calling out to them and they know deep down this is truth. They're worried about how it may affect their changes in their life or what they want to have to do or what it's going to look like from there on out. Father, today, may they just deal with the issue of whether or not they believe that you are the only way they can be made right. And may they tonight surrender in faith and say whatever it means, whatever it looks like. And I don't even have to know that tonight. Whatever it means, I give my life to you. And Jesus, would you wash away my sin? Would you put your spirit within me and give me this new life? And may I begin the journey of following you and walking in your spirit as you do what you want in my life. Father, if there's anyone here tonight 
that needs to come to that place, may they not walk out of here until they surrender that to you, either by coming to talk to me or anybody else here. But Lord, as well, for each of us that have already entered into this relationship that might, at different levels of the stages that it comes to come to know you more, Lord, may we all tonight, by faith, in the same way in which we would receive you for salvation, may we ask you by faith to do what it is you want to do in our hearts too. What are you saying to us? How is it to manifest itself? And Lord, I look forward to seeing what you will do through a group of folks who are experiencing the power of your spirit. And Father, forgive us. Thank you for the fact that you already have forgiven us for trying to live the Christian life apart from you. After having begun in the spirit, we've tried to perfect ourselves in the flesh and we had good Christian intentions in doing so. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that you're the one who wants to do it. And thank you for doing it. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.